Well, I'm certainly thankful to have this opportunity with you again this morning as a church family to come together again around Hebrews 6, and if I can do my best to um, help you and I both recognize clearer yet that this text will build our encouragement and confidence in God. This text. Now, now we've been considering, as Sean prayed, we've been considering the warning of this text as it relates to the saints. And I think in some of the discussion it can become that this text in one way, Hebrews 6 there, then serves not to build confidence, but to, in another way, shipwreck it. Um, And I hope to help you this morning as we look at the full argument of this text, that it is not another text now we need to run to to find confidence that God's in control and confidence that we won't fall away and confidence that once God has laid hold of us through Christ in covenant love, we will forever there remain. Let's skip Hebrews 6 and find that encouragement somewhere else. I hope to help you and and I grow with you through looking at this text. Here, we will find the confidence that will strengthen us and anchor us in God, not somewhere else. That from this very text this morning, we will see that God is unwaveringly This is how the text will end, and and perhaps it will end up being in a portion of next week's time together. But he is unchangeable in the character of his purposes. We don't need to run somewhere else outside of the warning and the weight of the warning to find confidence that he's unchangeable. We find it right here in all of the language, in all of the weight of this text for our perseverance we find yet again, as we persevere, we are resting confidently in God. I have a summary statement that I would like to begin with this morning, and then I hope it is my intention to proceed with you to prove out that summary statement, uh, for better or for worse, that this summary statement is a reflection of the teaching of this text. So I want to stay up front my summary statement to you, and then, like I said, proceed through the text to hopefully prove out that that indeed is an accurate summary statement of the teaching of this text, whereby together at the end, we will have great confidence in our perseverance. So my summary statement for you this morning is this. This Again, of this particular text I hope to prove out. I can hold fast to the hope I have in God. This this is you and I sharing this confident summary from this text. I can hold fast to the hope I have in God. I have hope in Him. I have have cast my cares upon Him as He who cares for me. My hope is now in God. And I can hold fast to that hope because, causative, because God is holding fast to me. 
That, that, that's the logic of my confidence. That, that's the logic of this text. That's how this entire, from, from, from the entire argument that we began, let's say maybe somewhere in five, and about the need to build upon our foundation that has been laid for us in Christ. We cannot lay another one. We need to build upon it and keep going in our understanding of doctrine, in our understanding of the text of Scripture. We cannot keep returning to a basic foundation principle. Keep building. And then we hear the warning about not building. The warning about falling away. And the call to persevere. And in light of the call to persevere, I find out I'm not nervous now that I might not persevere. I find out that I can hold fast in perseverance to the hope I have in God. Why? Why can you be so sure? What if you're one of these guys? No, I can have confident hope in God. This is why. Because God is holding fast to me. This is the same language if we were to parallel it with love. In 1 John 4, right? The relationship of our loving God and God's loving of us. And even our minds grasping the concept of what love is. This is love. Here it is. In what direction does love go? This is love. Not that we are awesome and loving God. This is love. Not that. But that God loved us. So, so my loving Him in the, in the flow of the logic, my loving God is being produced by His loving me. That that's how I love you because you first loved me. So I'm laying hold of my hope in you because you're holding me. Therein is confidence and perseverance. So from that summary statement, I hope to demonstrate that that is how the passage is functioning in this perseverance context, in the call to persevere. That you don't throw away hope because it's all about persevering without hope, but we persevere in hope because God is holding fast to us in our perseverance. So, notice with me in the text, if you would please, notice the way that the passage begins to flow and we support this summary statement of how the apostle begins to explain that your confidence this morning as a believer, your confidence tomorrow in perseverance lies not with you and personal performance, but with God and His performance in Christ. The first portion of our text to be able to see that is beginning in verse, really kind of, um, if, if we could jump up into verse 11. We ended there last week, verse 11 and 12. Notice how verse 11 and 12 are serving as a conclusion to the argument we've looked at about the call to the saints to persevere. Verse 11 and 12 serve as a conclusion, yet they also kind of serve as an introduction leading away from that argument to complete his sermon as he works the rest of the text here. I'll read for you verse 11 and 12. Notice how it's concluding, yet also introducing. 
where our confidence in perseverance does lie. Verse 11, and we desire each one of you, this is, this is the pastoral desire when speaking on perseverance, not to rattle the cages, but to instill confidence through persevering. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have, what? The full assurance of hope until the end. That's why I speak to you this way. Verse 9, that's why, that you would have hope. Verse 12, so that, this is how you gain hope. You may not be sluggish. There is a call, beloved, to persevere. But instead of being sluggish here, and that conclusion, notice how now he begins to introduce, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do you see the component of your persevering? Faith. Looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. Faith and, by the way, a healthy dose of patience. This is the journey of perseverance. And now as he calls us to be imitators of those who displayed such faith and patience. He introduces it, verse 12 there, and then he begins to explain it now furthermore in verse 13. He kind of opens up the idea of those who through faith, and now he zeroes in on Abraham. Verse 13, look at the introduction to the man Abraham, and we'll begin our summary explanation there. For when God made a promise to Abraham, so he goes from the idea of those who through faith and patience inherit, and he zeroes in on Abraham as someone for us to consider. But if you ask the question of yourself looking at this text, why does he zero in on Abraham? Or what is that about Abraham I am to imitate in my perseverance, in that measure of faith and patience? What am I to imitate about Abraham, am I to imitate all of his actions? Is that how I read the Old Testament? Particular heroes and villains. And the heroes, I set about my clock in the daily morning to mimic all of their behaviors as best as I can. Is that our reading of the Old Testament? There were good guys and bad guys, and I'm trying to be one of the good guys. And that's what he's telling me here. Look at Abraham, study him. Do what he did. So I wear the bracelet, right? We've kind of joked about that a little bit. What would Abraham do? We switch that up now from, you know, the legalistic, what would Jesus do, to now we're considering, he's telling us, scratch that bracelet, make new ones. What would Abraham do? No, he's not. He's not. And, th- and that's not how we're reading it. But we recognize within Abraham, he was a man who indeed lived a life of faith and patience. So look beyond the introduction to Abraham by behavior And look at the unchangeable reality of what God did in Abraham and in you by faith. So you're looking beyond just Abraham's choices, A, B, C, and D, and he chose D, and I'm going to also choose, and I'm looking at what God did in Abraham that sustained Abraham in a life of faith and patience. And I find as I begin to scratch at that surface, I find great harmony with the man Abraham. In my call to persevere both by faith and patience. So we're looking beyond behavior, right? Because consider the context. 
God's covenantal context with Abraham. And you remember in that covenant that God made with Abraham, let's say around chapter 15, do you remember after Abraham was pledged, Abraham, you're going to have descendants that are going to be uh, greater than you can uh, number in the stars of the heavens. And you remember uh, Abraham's next step of behavior. Do you recall what it was? And so right now you're hearing the writer of Hebrews exhort you, the, the apostles of the Hebrews exhort you in your life of faith and patience, consider Abraham. And you're like, behaviors? Exactly? And you're like, wait a minute. Something deeper than just the behavior because I remember the incident of Abraham with Hagar. You think, wait, there, there's more for me here. Indeed, Abraham lived a life of faith and patience, yet I'm not mimicking his behavior, but I'm looking at what drove Abraham's faith and patience. I'm going beyond behavior alone as example, and I'm looking at the covenant that God made with Abraham that was the basis of Abraham's confidence and hope. And I find out, by the way, as I look to the covenant that God made with Abraham, I find out what? We were singing it with our children last night. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You don't sing that song. We find out that that's, that's the truth of the gospel. And that now I'm finding, as I glance at the man Abraham and what God did in Abraham, I share in the faith of Abraham, and I also, in my life of perseverance, can persevere with faith and patience, as Abraham did because of what God has done. So I find, wait a minute, the basis for my confidence is not my personal performance, it's God holding on to me that is the basis of my confidence and hope and persevering. That's the faith of Abraham. Let me ask this question and then begin the answer. If I have been unclear to this point, let me clarify. This is the question I'm asking with you. How does considering God's covenant with Abraham Okay, so we're looking all the way back at Genesis and we're considering the imitators of faith and patience and now we've zeroed in on the man Abraham and we're looking beyond the, the day-to-day choices that Abraham made and, and we can receive much by many of them but then we can also peer beyond Abraham to the confidence that Abraham had and we can share in the confidence he also had. So that's the question then. How does considering God's covenant with Abraham clarify and strengthen my understanding, me this morning, you and I this morning, how does it clarify and strengthen my understanding of God's covenant with me? That's the question of the text because he said, consider Abraham. Our question is, how then does considering God's covenant with Abraham strengthen and clarify my understanding of God's covenant with me? How does it do it? I hope to show you the answer comes to us in a few pieces. Number one, the first piece of how we will grow through considering the faith that Abraham had and that we too can have for strength and confidence and perseverance comes to us first by considering how the covenant began. This is looking into the covenant that God made with Abraham 
of what we've been instructed in verse 13, and our question is, how can I have confidence and strength by looking into it? This is how. First, Christian, you, believer, this morning, please consider with me how the covenant with Abraham began. This is the basis of your confidence. It was the basis of Abraham's confidence. How did it begin? Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear. See, that's covenantal language. It's pointing us to the covenant that God swore with Abraham. He swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. There are two things quite plainly here that we see in this text, and that is Number one, the source of the relationship. That is how the covenant began. The source of the relationship that Abraham had with God was unilateral. That is, God established a relationship with Abraham and God established a relationship with you unilaterally. Or what we might be more familiar with, with the language outside of a covenant context unconditionally. This is the basis of your hope. When life is like this, on the persevering journey, which we'll get to in the life of Abraham, what keeps you like this, theologically? Your faith being strengthened with patience as you experience this, is that God began this work in me and He is faithful. Here I am, and then here I am, but here he is every day. That's looking to Abraham. That's what fueled Abraham on in good and in bad was the basis, though, the baseline of his confidence is that God began this relationship with me. Unilaterally, he called out to me, Genesis 12, the introduction to the man Abraham. Right after the genealogy of Genesis 11 is the call God said to Abraham, or at that point, Abram. There it is. There's the beginning. Hello, Abraham. Abram, get off your knees and stop worshiping false gods. I am the Lord. There it is. Unilateral introduction. Unconditional approach. Hello, Abram. Here is how the covenant began. Unilaterally unconditionally. I'm acting on your behalf. There are two statements within the text that clarify what I mean by unconditionally or unilaterally. And they're very clear, so let's just kind of mine them out just for a second so that we can reap the benefits of how the covenant with Abraham began. And as I'm looking to Abraham as a imitator of faith and patience, I'm seeing also this speaks to me. There are two statements right off the bat. Notice the very first one in uh, 13, for when God made a promise. That's straightforward enough. Underline it in your Bible. God made the promise. That's how the promise began. That is, God initiated it. He, the benefactor, Abram, a hundred percent beneficiary. So too, to you through the gospel. This is the basis of your confidence. 
and perseverance. God made the promise. Second portion in that text is that God swore to keep it. So he began it, that is, he initiated it, and then you look beyond there that he made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And look at the language of 14, surely, that's it, guaranteed, I can't swear by anything higher than me, no oath that I can take, there is, as we sang this morning, none beside thee. There isn't here or here or here that I can swear. There's nothing in the universe that I can swear by. No persons, no beings, no books, nothing I can put my hand on, cross my heart. There's nothing greater than me. And I initiate with you, and I, of my own might, will maintain it. Benefactor, beneficiary. not a shared commitment. It's not like as long as you kind of, I'm going to, it's an approach. I am the Lord. And I commit to you. God swore to keep it. He initiated it and he swore to to maintain it. Some of us might kind of have a hard time with a little bit of what the book of Hebrews does in and out of covenant language and covenant theology that surrounds it, that upholds the book and is always in and out, in and out. And to us, we don't operate on packs and procedures on a regular day-to-day basis as much as we assume them in our relationships with one another and our dealings with others and so forth. But we're just, wouldn't you agree, we're fairly removed from the ancient covenantal context, particularly what's going on in Genesis. So we might be unfamiliar with the historical background that the original audience certainly would have grasped out of the idea that God initiated and God swore to maintain it. What that means in Genesis 15, if you go back and you begin looking at that evening where the Lord appeared to Abram, which we'll get to just in a minute, but as he appeared to Abram and then he spoke to Abram and then there is a covenantal ceremony that makes sense but might be a little bit challenging to us and that is the spreading of the animal parts, do you recall, in Genesis 15. And then the torch, this this presence of God goes through the animal pieces and parts. In that covenantal ceremony, what was the exchange? It was unilateral. I'm asking you, join with me in the thought of the source of your covenant relationship with God. What keeps it? You or God? And how did he... Think about Abram. God passed through. So when Abram's life was like this... We're not going to make it to the land. I don't even know where the land is. How is this even going to work? What gave faith and patience through that challenge? How this covenant began. God initiated it, and he swore to maintain it. So too in my life, it feels like the earth is caving in on me. The heavens, and they're showering down wrath upon me. 
It's a challenge. I don't know what. I don't know where to turn. It's all in jeopardy. God is gone. Wait a minute. I'm, I, I have faith, and I can endure with patience. Not because of my personal performance and its execution, but because God who initiated this covenant is faithful to also uphold it. That is what it means to peer into the man of Abraham. He initiated it. You didn't earn it at the beginning, and you won't keep it by earning it all along the pathway. In that covenant ceremony to peer into it just for a brief second, you'll recognize that God assumed, at that moment, when, when as, as, the, as the king entering into covenant with a lower lord, that is Abram and God, king and vassal, as God passed through that unilaterally, as he did that, what that means in that covenant that Abram was well aware of is that the great king assumed all the responsibility for the blessings of the covenant and he assumed all the responsibility for the curses if there is breach in the covenant. Now you, Abraham, you're not responsible for this. I am. And I swear by no one greater than myself for there is no one greater than myself. I will what I have initiated here, I will also maintain. Consider then, as the Apostle directs you and I, to consider Abraham as he directs us to that same covenant, who, by the way, I have noted, has many sons. He reminds us that God is the source of our covenant in Christ. As those who share in the faith of Abraham. What does this mean? If I could take this statement that we know by being united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and plug it right in as he's directing us to do so into the covenant made with Abraham, I would suggest to you that these truths are so self-evident. But as preachers do, they explain the obvious at times. So guilty as charged. My wife reminded me last night, you take forever to tell a story. Uh, we were watching a 48 Hours Mystery, and it wears her out because, and others, probably all of you, because the story advances a quarter of an inch, and then you take a, a commercial break, and then you rehearse all of the events up to that new quarter of an inch, and you go maybe an eighth of an inch further. That, that's small. And then you take a commercial break, and then you rehearse what's been set up to that point. For me, I could sit there and watch it for hours. <laughs> As I also act in my preaching. So Adrian is like, that show puts me asleep. I cannot take the slow advancement. Just keep going. So I digress. But... If I could plug this then, looking to the man of Abraham, if I could plug this into your life in Christ as the apostle is directing it, it means this in union with Jesus, in Christ, please, Christian, united to Jesus, in Christ, God initiated a covenant with you, unconditionally, unilaterally. The gospel went out, you heard. All my sheep hear my voice. They will hear it, and they will come to me.
in Christ, God initiated a covenant with you. Consider then your confidence. Number two, in Christ, God did also swear upon the son's death to maintain it. Guaranteeing it in the resurrection. How much of that was based on your personal performance? Will you then maintain it by personal performance? If we look to Abraham's life again, we recognize clearly that wasn't the case with Abraham. He didn't maintain that covenant by personal performance. Yet he acted in faith with patience and confidence because of he who initiated also did swear to maintain it. Or we could put it in Paul's language along these lines. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you. This is the essence of good theology. This is where we must begin and we must end and we must have saturating our means of study. We begin this way, we work this way, and we conclude this way. He who calls you. He acts I respond, and I find out he is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. What does that mean then in my life? He will surely do it. That is the basis of my confidence and perseverance. So it was with Abraham. Notice the next statement in the text. As I said, the answer, what what does studying Abraham do to clarify God's covenant with me? The second portion, look at the next statement in the text of how the covenant continues then. So it was, we grow in confidence by considering how the covenant began, as it did with us through the gospel. In Christ, God initiated and maintained to keep it. Two, consider with me, to build your confidence in God and persevering, how the covenant continues. How does it continue? Look at verse uh, 15. And thus... Abram, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Consider how the covenant continues. If you would with me, jump back to Genesis 15 just for a brief moment. As we look at the text of what the author is reminding us of, Genesis 15 will shed intense light on what we're looking at in Hebrew, so I want to take a moment and just go back there. Because there are two pieces to the puzzle here that we need to add to our puzzle in order to achieve the full picture. Without them, we will have an incomplete understanding here out of Genesis 15 they are provided to us. Look at the text with me, if you would. What gives Abraham... uh, Did you see how it described Abraham's obtaining the promises? How did they come? Immediate? No. They came through what? Patience. A life of faithful plotting. Look at what gave Abram great confidence as he continued. Look at the text of 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, 
Behold, you have given me no offspring to this grand promise. No offspring. And a member of my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Very soon shall uh, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord. Look, look at this unilateral word. Who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and possession, to possess it. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How shall I know? You say you're going to do this. I have a kid in my house. He's not going to be the heir. But Lord, and I'm going to give you this land. But how shall I know that I will really possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old. A female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all the pieces, cut them in half, and laid each of them, each half, over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down in the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain the grounds of his confidence. That your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, and the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and there was, it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. Do you notice... What undergirds the confidence of Abraham in this text? Did you see it? You see, I saw a lot of different things in this text. Point it, give me a, give me a little hint, right? What you're looking for. Notice how the Lord approached Abram. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Everything from here, the rest of 15, was an authentication of this statement. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. But wait a minute, how will I know? How will I know? This is getting my house. How will I know the land? How will I know that you're... I am your shield. Confidence piece number one. Your reward. Confidence piece number two. Your reward will be very great. That is, as we look back on Hebrews 6 and we look at the faith of Abraham, he lived faithfully and patiently in light of these promises. What strengthened him? What was it that the execution of this covenant would be made sure? That it will never be brought to completion. 
your life in Christ will never be brought to completion. Abram's covenant promises would never be brought to completion. This is what gave him confidence. Based on personal performance, but on God's twofold pledge. I will be your defender. I am your shield. And God's being the benefactor who ensures all future inheritance. This is your confidence. That God is your defender. In the fulfillment of his covenant he made with you in Christ through the gospel. Is it solely on me that I have to run with all my might and without which I will die? No. I can, wait a minute, run confidently. I can hold my hope I have in God that it will not disappoint because God is holding on to me. Genesis 15, I'm going to execute all these things. How will I know? Because I already told you, Abram. I already told you, believer, I am your shield about which I will protect you from all hostile forces to this covenant. The perils are great, aren't they, believer? The challenges to our marriages, challenges to our purity, challenges to our integrity, challenges to the execution of our speech, challenges to our workload, challenges for ministry, the perils are great. Is it my personal performance that will ensure the fulfillment of God's love for me? No. Consider Abraham, that God is the defender of those perils, me against them. He is the shield about me, the defense is covenant through Christ in me to all the hostile forces I face. I am your shield. And he is also the benefactor to me who produces all of the blessings in Christ to me. Oh, boy, I can persevere by faith looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of that faith. For God is my defender and my benefactor based on the performance of another. With the writer of Hebrews, I say this to you that you might have the full assurance of hope to the end. Consider Jesus. Father, we certainly do consider him. He who is our Lord that we have here confessed. Him who we have laid hold of by faith 
Jesus, who is the forerunner for us, that our perseverance, our obedience is a blessing you provide, not a sheer requirement of our personal performance for your love. So we've been directed to consider Abraham. So we see you, Father, speaking to us, the defender, our shield about us in Christ, and our benefactor who provides all that is required. As we gather around your table, we look to you as benefactor through the Son who has provided in His body and His blood all that is required. We live, each one of us, Father, by the performance of another. Thank you for Jesus. Let that be the bedrock, Father, to each one who has come to hear. And the thought of persevering and growing in Christ. Let them remember the performance of another and thereby be moved with full assurance to the end. In Christ Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.